again, Idiot Expert Podcast, Episode 3. I'm Calcho Joe. I'm here, of course, with my great co-host, uh, Claudio Perfetto. Um, and you guys know our Twitter handles by now. Uh, it's at CPerfetto11, at Calcho Joe 5 and the big one, at Idiot Expert Pod. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter, you can get all of our information for how to download the podcast on iTunes, uh, on Anchor, uh, at cloudsports.tk. Uh, Claudio, how are you? Good, Joe. How you doing? Good. Um, it's Good. a little odd that we're speaking on a uh, Saturday right, right now, but uh, the program has a little bit of a change to it. The Originally, we were going to be doing only a once-a-week podcast on Wednesdays, uh, at least recording on Wednesdays, but the demand and the interest... Uh, for our opinions, which is shocking to me. Uh, Especially for yours. Exactly. <laughs> uh, seems to have grown a little bit. Um, and we're going to kind of utilize a weekend recording when we have the opportunity uh, to branch out a little bit and talk about uh, not just soccer, some interesting uh, current events, uh, dealing with the sports world, uh, some baseball, some soccer, uh, some base, uh, some basketball, some baseball, all those, you know, all those sports. Um, and that'll be really the point of the weekend episode. And there, during the week, we're going to stay with our strictly soccer uh, yeah, conversation. Review, review of the games, the previous weekend, the upcoming games, uh, the next weekend, results, players, tactics, all that kind of stuff will be on Wednesdays when we record and then on the weekend definitely more interesting stories could still be soccer stories but uh, you know we have a few of them today for you and you know when we get to them you'll see what we're talking about yeah, exactly and we'll, we'll, now that we got the the housekeeping issues out of the way uh, first off we want to thank everyone so far for subscribing and rating and reviewing uh, the podcast please keep doing that uh, that's what's going to keep the microphone on if you will uh, so please, please keep doing that. And again, like I said, you could follow us, subscribe to us on iTunes, at Anchor, and at CloudSports.tk. Topic one, a game that just took place a few hours ago, yep. um, a huge rivalry game, uh, Manchester United versus Liverpool. 2-1, uh, Manchester United takes the victory here. Uh, Claude, what did we see here? So... A lot of issues with Manchester United this year have been uh, regarding their manager, Jose Mourinho, that they think he plays a little too defensively. Um, it's not typical of a Manchester United team to play uh, very defensively, and the fans want to see more attacking uh, football or soccer, and that's not his style. He's uh, a very organized coach. He likes to give people um, you know, a hard time scoring against them. That's his priority I guess you could say and that's what he did today he uh, kept his team very organized in good shape made it very hard for Liverpool to um, score against them and they actually weren't able to the one goal that Liverpool got was an own goal so from Manchester United so they scored on themselves Um, so he accomplished his goal today whether you agree with it or not you know so interesting thing about this matchup and again from a novice perspective uh this is a rivalry game. Yeah. So, how big of a rivalry is this in the, in the Premier League? Uh, it's probably there are local rivalries like Arsenal and Tottenham. Um, this isn't so much a, a local rivalry uh, as they don't play in the same town. That would be Manchester United and Manchester City. But this is a huge rivalry because it's two historic teams. They have the most titles between them you know of any teams in the Premier League and um, specifically Sir Alex Ferguson who I think most people would know uh, he was a very famous manager of Manchester United that retired a few years ago um, when he took charge of Manchester United Liverpool had 18 championships at the time which was the most and this was like around 89 90 um, and he Manchester United were like we're way behind, and now they actually have surpassed uh, 
Liverpool in titles where they have 20 and Liverpool only has 18 because they haven't won since mm-hmm. Sir Alex Ferguson took over. So it's a huge rivalry between the fans. So we actually, you know, before we, we get further into the game, we actually put a Twitter poll up uh, at Idiot Expert Pod. Uh, I kind of think the results were a little biased based on our Serie A fans. Yep. But, uh, but the three choices uh, for best rivalry in soccer were AC Milan, Inter Milan, yep. which the game is coming up soon, yep. uh, Barcelona, Real Madrid, yep. and Liverpool and Manchester United. Uh, the Twitter results came in with uh, AC Milan and uh, Inter Milan. Uh, again, like I said, I feel like it was a little bit biased. Uh, what do you think would be the best rivalry of those three? Currently, I would say that the Spanish one is the, the that was best my one. Because I, I picked that one. They are competing for the title every year, those two teams. And they're competing for the Champions League every year. So they're competing on all fronts, um, especially now. You know, I don't want to go too deep into it, but the political issues in Spain where Barcelona's region, Catalonia, is trying to secede from Spain and all that. Um, That's makes some heavy it, stuff. It's like that a makes very, it really, very, makes very it a real, big. real rivalry. Exactly. Um, and, but, you know, in the past and historically, Milan and Inter was, was also a huge rivalry. You know, a few years ago before Serie A kind of like took a little bit of a dip. They were competing for Serie A and the Champions League every year, so it was very similar to the Spanish one. But today, I would say that the Spanish one is the uh, is definitely the strongest rivalry because of all their accomplishments. Now, let's put it in perspective for the casual fan, and this is kind of where I wanted to steer the conversation. To me, if you compare rivalries, the best rivalry in all of sports in America, in Europe, and I'm sure this is going to anger our Premier League fans and our La Liga fans, but Yankees-Red Sox is the best rivalry in, the, <laughs> in all of sports. Um, I know we saw Duke-UNC last night, yeah. which is a really terrific rivalry, and they're separated by a few miles right. of campuses, uh, but the history of Yankees-Red Sox, the venom between the two fan bases... And I'm sure there'll be fans that say Yankees-Mets is a great rivalry. It's not the same. No. The Yankees-Red Sox is the be-all, end-all. Uh, they never play in the World Series against each other. They only play in the possibly ALC- right. ALCS. Uh, they play each other 19 times a year. Every time, I'm a Yankee fan, you're a Yankee fan, yeah. you want blood from the Red Sox. You yeah, want to knock sure. them out, and you, you hope they go 0-162. I imagine it's the same type of feeling between these two teams. Yeah. But what I will say is this, and I want to hear your perspective. If Inter Milan makes it to the Champions League final, do you want to see them win? Absolutely not. I just, it's... Even even for your country, even for Italy. So, Because you're a no. big, you're a big, a big proponent of you want to see Italian soccer succeed. Right, and I agree. Um, so the perspective from a Milan fan is there's a few things that go on with that. Milan has the second most Champions League titles to Real Madrid, and they want to stay in that position. They definitely don't want to get passed by another Italian team. And Inter and Juventus are the ones you know that have a couple of Champions Leagues themselves, but they're nowhere near Milan. Milan has seven. Um, but... When Juventus makes it, I absolutely go for Juventus, especially because so prior to this year, the Champions League had a different format as far as qualification. Um, Italy was only getting three spots in the Champions League. They were getting two direct spots in the group stage and one spot in the qualifying round uh, before the group stage. So to even get into the group stage. So and it goes by uh, coefficient. So I wanted Italian teams to do well. What is coefficient? It's a UEFA coefficient. It basically is a way for UEFA to judge teams' performances in the Champions League and the Europa League. They break it down by country to see which countries are the strongest. That's why you're the expert, but keep going. (laughs) So prior to this year, the coefficient was very important. And Italy was um, behind England, Spain, and Germany in the coefficient. So they were only getting three spots into the Champions League, whereas now... 
UEFA scrapped that and they were like, we have to have the top four leagues, which are Spain, England, Germany, and Italy, have four teams in the group stage because those are the big teams. Those are the teams that bring in the most money. That's who the fans want to see, blah, blah, blah. So now... I feel like Italian fans can go back to rooting against other Italian teams so the, the, because it's not as important for them to, to do well. But I don't think AC Milan fans or Inter Milan fans would ever want to see the other team succeed in the Champions League. And neither would a Manchester fan and a, no. a Liverpool fan or a Barcelona and a, uh, a Real, Real Madrid. Madrid. Nope. Okay, right, so. well, at least we're on the same wavelength with yeah. that because I hate Pedro Martinez. I hate Manny Ramirez. I hate David Ortiz. All those guys, I hate. And I would never want... <laughs> too. I would never want uh, positive things to happen to them on a baseball field. Right. So uh, I'm glad that that hate translates uh, even into Europe yeah. uh, with, with the soccer fans. Um, and I think it's an interesting discussion. I would love to hear the Twitter reactions on this. Please send us a... Uh, a DM or a reply to us or give us your thoughts because I'm sure the European fans feel that their rivalries are the best rivalries. Yeah. And, you know, it's an interesting discussion. Again, at Idiot Expert Pod, if you have a problem with what I'm saying, and I'm sure you do, at Calcio Joe 5, and uh, I'm sure you guys agree with, uh, with Claudio here. So it's at CPerfetto11. Um, we had a little bit of an interesting uh, experience during the Manchester United-Liverpool uh, game. Uh, we sent out a tweet from our our Twitter handle, that the program, the podcast Twitter handle, Idiot Expert Pod, uh, and it went. It was in a Twitter event. It was. In Twitter I don't even. Actually. I don't yeah, even know how Twitter know. works. Yeah. So and I'm not only not only am I an idiot in soccer. But also in social media. The scary thing is he's the one that actually sent the tweet also. So <laughs> he doesn't even know what he did. But it actually made it to um, Twitter mentions because Mourinho during the match, I'm sure anybody that watched it, took out a notepad during the match. And um, everyone on Twitter started making memes and GIFs of what he was writing down on that notepad. Uh, Joe here made one, and it got added to the Twitter uh, moments of the day. So, good job, Joe. Uh, All right, if anybody there we go. wants to check it out, it's on our page. If you didn't see it already, and it's uh, it's doing pretty well. So, but what it, I still want to know what was it? What could this guy possibly have been writing down in the notebook? Uh, he's writing down his uh, probably what he saw, what he thought needed to be adjusted. For for uh, halftime. It looked like a detective's so. notebook, though. I mean, it was, it was pretty hilarious it, if you it think was, about it. You know who else does that quite often? Uh, Maurizio Sarri, the coach of Napoli. During but he the also game. smokes, right? He, well, not during the game, but he does smoke, yeah. I've seen, like, <laughs> pictures of him uh, uh, on training, Twitter. Training, like, yeah, yeah, he does smoke like during training. Yes. Chain smoking. Yeah. I think that should be adopted, though. Napoli think... also, sorry to cut you off, Napoli also... Um, drinks espresso during uh, practice. If you, if you ever want to go on uh, Google and search for the images, they have a guy, I think his name is Tommaso, who makes espresso on the stove and he brings it out to the players and the coaches during Are those practice. Perform- is that considered performance-enhancing drugs? <laughs> it should be, especially especially from uh, Naples. It should definitely be considered that. But Oh, that's, that's good. And uh... That's funny. Uh, the one thing before we leave the Manchester United-Liverpool game, um, I wanted to talk about this tweet that you sent out. Uh, you had mentioned during, from our account, uh, you had mentioned that Mourinho had the players in good form, strong form. Shape. Shape. So I asked you before, what does that mean? Because for, for an American sports fan, I've never heard the term form. Right. So, in and soccer, I see it a lot now on, on. Well, form is just how you're currently performing. So, if you're in good form, that means the team is doing well. They've played a few games in a row. They've done well in all those games. They're in good form. Uh, so, and then bad form is you haven't won. You're not playing well. You know, for whatever reason. So that's that's what form is. So you're saying there, the way that I took it was that you were saying that they were in good shape. Show yes. me the team that's not in good shape. No, it's and I want to root for that team. Shape doesn't like with a with a goalie that's 
that can't even make it. He can't even make laps <laughs> around the stadium or anything like that. That's what I want to say. I want to root for that team. <laughs> like shape a, a, is. Uh, it's, it's like not, eleven Allen Iverson. It's not physical shape. <laughs> All right. So I meant the team. So in soccer, a lot of times. Um, See, but this is why we have the podcast, yeah, so you can exactly. explain stuff like this. The team has to move on a string, you know. They have to all cover for each other, be in the right spots, especially in defense. Um, so that's what it meant, that Mourinho had them in good sh- shape on the field where it was very hard for Liverpool to find any spaces to break them down and get into the box and try to score. So he it wasn't made, about their cardiovascular no, I, ability or, or anything like no, that. All right, well, that's my bad. My hand up on that one. <laughs> um, I also have a note here that you wanted to compare uh, Man, uh, Man U to... Uh, to Juve. Well, Juve. So it, and, and not so much a comparison, but I would like to bring up that I've re- after Juve beat Tottenham the other day, um, a lot of people on radio shows and podcasts and Twitter... They're, they've made the comparison saying, why does Mourinho at Manchester United get a lot of criticism for playing a defensive style, whereas a team like Juve plays a defensive style and doesn't receive a lot of criticism? And I kind of just want to uh, break the myth a little bit because Juve in Italy does not play a defensive style. They're the they're the most talented team. They're the strongest team. So they go out and try to and score they goal goals. Scored. They have a Dybala yes. and Higuain. So uh, those guys, you know, put the ball in the net. You know, I, I don't follow Manchester United as closely as I follow Juve, but I would imagine that the criticism is because he's playing defensively in all his Premier League games against all of his opposition. And I just wanted to point out that Juventus does not do that. They... Obviously, they're winning 2-1 against Tottenham on the road with the spot in the quarterfinals you know, on the line. What are they going to do? Of course, they're going to go play back defense, and play yeah. defense and try to get out of there with the win. And that's just, that, so you can't break it down to, to the point where you want to say, oh, Juventus plays defensively. You know? And I will say this. In comparing the two different leagues, the Premier League, to me, and again, this is from someone yeah. that, that doesn't have a great history with the sport, is much more physical very physical. Than uh, Syria. Yeah, the refs let a lot more go. They let a lot go. That's true. Um, and you, they're really taking punishment there. So to me, you would have to play defense to, to survive in that. If not, you're going to get down real quick because they're very aggressive to the net. They're pushing each other. They're creating space for themselves. Uh, it's just a very, very physical game. Yeah, and another point is... Um you know, Antonio Conte, the coach of Chelsea now, he played Manchester City last week. Chelsea played Manchester City last week and they lost one nothing. And all the criticism towards him was, well, you know, Chelsea just played defensively the whole game. They didn't even try to score. They, and after the game, he said, you know, Arsenal, when they played Manchester City back-to-back games, I think they lost 3 nothing in both games. He's like, when Arsenal played, tried to play attack against Manchester City and they got killed, you guys criticized the Arsenal coach Wenger um, for playing offensive and getting killed. Now you want to criticize me, but I'm trying to keep it defensive. He's like, I knew playing against Manchester City that the only shot we were going to have is like, playing defensive. We talked about so. this last week yeah, or on Wednesday in episode two. Uh, but it needs to be repeated. The criticism between soccer managers and American coaches is wildly disparate. Uh, the American coaches do not nearly get as criticized no. as uh, soccer managers from what I've seen. If yeah. people have a bad spell, they immediately want to dismiss yeah. a, a soccer manager. In baseball, you have the old saying, you know, you can't go out and hit for the play. You can't. You can't. You, all right. you do is put together the lineup and you throw it out there. Uh, I feel like there's a lot more leeway in American sports than there are for uh, European soccer managers. And even to further that, I just feel like uh, you can build up a lot more equity in American sports. Like we mentioned, yeah. Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich. Uh, even Jeff Fisher, you know, the reason why Jeff Fisher we talked about was so successful or was able to last for so long was because he had success at one point in his career. Right. And that, that equity lasted for a long time. Yeah, and I think the problem in soccer, the difference, I should say, is that because of the point system, the you can't afford to slip up 
too much. So that's why the media is on you, the fans are on you, the board is on you, and they they fire you because, you know, it becomes a lost season. Whereas in American sports with the playoff system, if you're not doing as well as maybe expectations were, but you're still in that playoff race, you could sneak into the playoffs and maybe see where things go. So that's probably why, you know, in, in, in Europe, that the managers get sacked, you know, fired so fast. It, it has to do with that, you know, because it's such a thin line. Makes sense. All right, let's move on a little bit. And this is a, a story that you sent me, uh, and you're very excited to talk about. Yes. And I think you put it in here because I am somewhat, uh, not a, I'm nowhere near an expert on, expert on this, but I'm aware of the person involved in the situation. Uh, it's Mike Piazza, Hall of Fame catcher, formerly of the... New York Mets, the LA Dodgers, and yeah. for a brief moment, the Florida Marlins before they were the Flor- before they were the Miami Marlins. Yep. Uh, his venture, and I think it's been a few years now. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, th- I think this is his first full season in charge, though. Okay. So I think it's about a year. So, so he yeah. he purchased an Italian soccer team, Reggiana, and they are in Serie C. Yep. Which we made fun of a few weeks, two episodes ago. Oh, you did, yes. Oh, I made fun of them. <laughs> it's the guys at the grocery store also double as soccer players. I'm sure Mike Piazza won't want to hear that, but it is what it is. Um, and he seems to be having a dispute, and uh, Claudio is going to do a much better job of explaining it with Sassuolo, who's a team in Syria A, yep. regarding the rent that he pays to the stadium. Right. So... Um, and we have the clip, but we'll wait to play the clip. Yeah. So a little bit of the explanation is um, he purchased Reggiana. And Reggiana was a team that was in Serie A for years in through the 90s. Um, they were a very popular team in their region of Italy. Um, but the team went into a financial crisis. Um, and they eventually went bankrupt. He purchased the team, but... At the time, years ago, they built the stadium, Reggiana, through season ticket holders. I guess they were funded by the season ticket they holders. PSLs too? It was something <laughs> of the nature to, to build the stadium. Then the team went bankrupt. Obviously, the stadium was sold at an auction. And Sassuolo, the owner of Sassuolo, he didn't buy it underneath Sassuolo, the club, but his company purchased uh, the stadium. So now... They're in Serie A. They're doing very well. They they got promoted to Serie A. And they've been there ever since. Um, and he's a wealthy guy. And I guess he is charging very high rent to Reggiano, this who's in Serie A. Italians notorious for charging high, high rent. rent. Right, exactly. And I tried to do research on both sides. Obviously, the, the Mike Piazza side is the more well-known one here in, in the United States. But the other side of the story is that Apparently, there was a lease, and the lease was inherited by Mike Piazza when he purchased the team, and they feel like he should hold up to his honor and honor the lease. And the other point that they're making, Sassuolo, is that they made that lease at a time when the stadium was like crumbling. Since then, they've actually made a ton of improvements to the stadium. Based off the money that... Well, he, they paid Serie into a, it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and he, um, and they're saying that if we were to terminate this lease right now, renegotiate another one, not only would we make you pay less, we would make you pay more because the stadium is in better condition now, and you have I, to pay I more. I love that. Before we before we listen to the sound, that is a very typical Italian yeah. move. You should be lucky <laughs> yep. that we don't even raise your rent. Exactly. You should be happy. I'm basically losing my shirt here. By you paying such a low amount of rent. I'm doing you a favor. I'm doing you a favor by charging you that cheap amount of rent. Right. Now that I think about it, I could probably get more money on the open market. Exactly. So let's take a listen right now to Mike Piazza during his press conference. Uh, It's kind of comical, but uh, take a listen right now. We've reorganized this company. We've invested in this community. I my family here, my children here, to be part of this community. And we deserve respect. We are not going to be pushed around by a multi-billion dollar corporation. The stadium was built for this team by these people. We've reached out in friendship to try to form a coalition with the mayor 
with Mr. Squincy, with Swallow, with my pay, and we've got nothing. Nothing. And I'm sick of it. I'm tired and sick of Regina being pushed around. I am frustrated and I'm freaking pissed off. So that was Mike Piazza during his press conference. Yeah. Very emotional, Mike very, Piazza. He's very upset about it. Probably because he's losing money. I honestly think he... And, and this is... Uh, people may not realize this about Mike Piazza, but Mike Piazza comes from a wealthy, relatively wealthy family, if you ever do any research on Mike Piazza. Uh, his father did very, very well, I believe, with car dealerships uh, in Pennsylvania. So he has some money, but it seems out of this story that he is really personally invested in this yeah. in this uh, whole situation. Obviously, he made a good amount of money in Major baseball, League Baseball uh, and whatnot, but it seems like, you know, he was almost at the brink of tears in this. Uh, yeah, he's very upset. And it ha- probably has to do with the fact that the team is much harder to fund than he thought it would be. And so our idea to buy a, a Serie D team... Might cost us a little bit more than we anticipated. Yeah, well, reportedly, I've read in reports. I, no one knows because he hasn't disclosed the amount. But reports from the area say that he purchased the team for around three million. Good. Was that a good deal or a bad or a bad deal? I mean, if you could bring the team back to to the first division to Serie A, it becomes a great deal. Great deal, yeah. Because yeah. three million dollars for a professional sports team is not much, but. The problem that he's having is the stadium, I guess, is a big issue. And his point that he's making is, I can't afford to pay the rent to you. And there's no other stadium in the area that I can move to. I can move this team to. That's, you know, realistic. I guess there's teams in the area, but the stadiums are crumbling and they can't, he can't use those stadiums for whatever reason. But let's get back to the original point. Yep. He acquired this team knowing the lease. He should have. I would imagine. That he has to. You, you should probably do some due diligence. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the day, as as empathetic as we want to be. Yeah, because I like Mike Piazza. He yeah. he knew. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I he know. seems like a very nice guy. Yes, he's a Hall of Famer. Yes. He's a little overrated in my opinion. I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but he knew about. He knew about this situation before he got into it. Right. So that's what I don't really blame the Sasulo owner. And on top of that, I think it's hilarious that he went with the, you should be thankful we're charging you this amount of money. <laughs> yeah. So who knows? I, you know, I would have to imagine we don't know the details, obviously. So do you think it's going to bankrupt his team having to pay this type of rent? He, he doesn't seem like it's that serious. Um, but I guess it, it's hurting him maybe from making a better product on probably the field can't spend on because players he can't and spend on other things. So that's probably and he's really trying to bring the team back. I think they're in fourth place in Serie uh, Chi now. So you know he's almost at the B level, which you know was is good. It's that's in the pro- and he, right he direction. bought it. They were in the third division. I think they might have been in the fourth actually when he oh, bought wow, it. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, so, so so they're slowly making progress, and he just wants to reinvest money into the product. But instead, he's reinvesting money into the Sassuolo yeah, product. I mean, another thing he said in the press conference was that he's sending the youth team to some tor- the same tournament in Africa that like Real Madrid and Barcelona send their youth team to. So mm-hmm. he's trying to, to invest in young players and, and develop them. And I guess maybe he's not able to do it you know, to the best of his ability because of the lease situation. So Gotcha. Understood. Uh if you like what you're hearing right now, follow us on Twitter at IdiotExpertPod. Uh, you can follow myself at CalchoJo5. You can follow uh, Claudio at CProfetto11. Um, I want to ask one more question with the Mike Piazza story. Because there, there are now two New York athletes who are owners. If you think about this, yeah. Hall of Fame, you know, Derek Jeter is right. going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Uh, so Derek Jeter obviously catching a lot of flack for... His, his purchase with his group of the Miami Marlins and how he's running his team. And now Mike Piazza's obviously in the newspapers about his ownership. Yep. Who is doing a better job right now in your, <laughs> in your estimate? I mean, I guess they're both trying to do the same thing. They're both trying to develop a young team and bring them to the top level. 
Uh, I don't know if Mike Piazza traded John Carlos Stanton though. No, Mike, he definitely didn't have John Carlos <laughs> Stanton on his on his team. Um, I, you know, the fans' perspective would be that Mike Piazza is doing, doing a better, a better job, job because they love him there. They really enjoy having him there. They they think he's doing a great job and going to bring the team back to the to the top level. So well, I will tell you this: from a financial perspective. Derek Jeter's doing a better job because Derek Jeter is paying yeah. himself $5 million a year. Yeah, when, when Mike Piazza sounds like he's not getting paid anything. He's going to be on the welfare line soon. <laughs> it's, it's, he's going to be collecting Italian welfare and American welfare yeah. if this team doesn't turn it around real soon. Uh, so, But I read a New York Times article because they went out to um, interview him. During he's a definitely game. doing a great job uh, publicizing and the team. If you listen to the whole press conference, we only played a clip of it, but if you listen to the whole press conference, he actually says, I have a lot of respect. And I'm, obviously, it's not a direct quote, but he says something along the lines of, I have a lot of respect for Seth Swallow and what they've done, but they're not bringing the New York Times to Emilia Romagna. <laughs> so, he's selling his brand. Good for Mike Piazza. So, uh, uh, yeah, he's doing a great job publicity wise, at yeah. least. Yeah, I mean, I know Jeter's getting killed publicity wise. And he's had yeah. a lot of bad stories uh, come out, um, and you know he's kind of he saw he traded Yelich, traded Ozuna, traded Stanton. Yeah, he got rid of a lot of players. He he's accomplishing his goal, which is to cut down on payroll, get young players, and then when the team has more money, yeah, then he can go out and yeah sign. Let's, some of their let's, own give, let's give him a little bit of equity. I mean, I feel like everyone's jumping on Derek Jeter. Well, you're a Yankee fan. Yeah. You love him for playing for the Yankees, number one. And number he's an two, angel. He's you, an angel. You love him because he traded John Carlos Stanton to, to, to you. Yeah. So, so. He did, he's doing good by Yankee fans, at least. We'll, we'll, we'll take it. Uh, let's move on. Uh, the other, to- you know, other topic we want to talk about is uh, Claudio's favorite team, AC Milan. Unfortunately, uh, dropped a loss yesterday to Arsenal, uh, two to nothing, yep. in the first leg of the Europa League. What did you see, and are you going to make it to next week? Um, so <laughs> I will make it to next week. They um, they were outmatched, uh, in my opinion. They uh, they don't have a lot of players that have played at the European level before. Really, the only people on the field. That have were uh, Benucci and Lucas Bilia. They said like most of the players are under 24 or 25, right? I read it, I don't remember the, the direct stat, but like something like eight of the players are under 25 and like four of them are actually under 21 or something. So they're, very, they're a really young team. Um, the biggest issue Arsenal had quality, which they don't possess, like Mesut Ozil, who's a great German international, he won the World Cup with Germany. Um, and Henrik Mkhitaryan, who came over from Manchester United and actually won this competition last year with Manchester United, those two guys would just have a ton of quality. Um, they really they made the difference. And then you know an English team like Arsenal, they're just much more physical and quicker and more speed than than AC Milan, and that was something that was really lacking and I think needs to be changed for Milan uh, going into the second game if they're going to have any any shot of moving on. If I was a Milan fan, uh, from what I read from all of Twitter and watched during the game and listened to the announcers, the one thing that I do like is it seems that Gattuso, the team is never out of the game. No. And without fail, I don't think I've read any tweets or articles to the contrary. Every person says that they're going to play to the last minute. They're going to give their best effort. Yeah. So he's obviously motivating them. He's doing something to get the best effort out of the team, which the previous coach clearly was not yeah. doing. So, you know, that's a positive. Now they're down 0-2 in the first leg. They got to go back to England yeah. and it's going to be a tough matchup for them. I don't think the odds are that great for them. They're not, but that being said, in the last round, in the round of 32, Arsenal lost the second leg at home to a Swedish team, uh, Ostersunds. So I think that's how you pronounce it. I'm not even sure. But so it, it can be done. Uh, Arsenal is not having a great season. So you never know. I mean, if Milan goes and they're able to score a very early goal, might get the nerves flowing yeah. in Arsenal and their fans, and well, it might turn you know badly so, for them. Again, one of the interesting 
differences between European soccer and American sports, American sports, you have one goal. That's it. Win your collective championship. Win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Win the World Series. Win the Larry O'Brien Trophy. In European soccer, I've read articles, if Arsenal wins the Europa League, is that enough for this season? Right. You know, they don't have to win the Premier League. No. They, well, they can win one of these to. ancillary trophies, uh, and that can still you can still consider the year a success. The top teams, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, their goal, their goal is the Champions Bayern League. Munich. But no, their goal is really to are to win everything. Everything. It's okay. so like Juventus steps onto the field, Real Madrid, Barcelona. They step onto the field the first game, and their goal is to win Italy or Spain, or Germany, whatever the league is, win the Champions League, win the Cup in their respective country, mm. and win everything. Obviously, as the season goes along and you crash out of some competitions or the gap becomes too big or whatever, your objectives change. Um, you know, So for Arsenal, really, what are they dealing with? They lost uh, a cup, an, uh, the Carabao Cup, to Manchester City, so that's out. They're not going to win the Premier League. No one is. Because Manchester City is so far ahead, so that's out. Um, so really, the only thing that they have left right now is to try to make it into the Champions League for next year. And the only ways they could do that are by finishing in the top four uh, in England, which they're far away from. They're not close to, and so they really have to, you know, dial in on the Europa League because that's their only chance to get to um, the uh, Champions, Champions League. League and. Arsene Wenger and his he's been at Arsenal for a long time and he hasn't won a European trophy. So this would it would be a big deal for them to to win this, you know, mainly because all their other objectives objectives are gone at right. this point. So we'll see. Uh, obviously it's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out for both English soccer fans and Italian soccer fans because both teams obviously are uh, yeah. prestigious programs within their respective countries. Right. Let's focus now on Syria. Uh, a big game tomorrow, uh, Inter Milan versus Napoli. Yep. And the question, I would think, from a novice fan's perspective, can Napoli bounce back? Right. Well, it's funny. Napoli, actually, we could tie it into that last conversation that we just had because they're a team that basically made it known that they weren't going to fight for all the competitions they were in this year. They were only going to fight for the Italian championship. So they put all their stock into Serie A. And now they're faced with a tough challenge because last week's loss allowed Juventus to close the gap and pretty much overtake them. And now they're coming off of a loss to Roma and they have to play Inter, which Napoli is better than Inter, but it's Away and it's going to be a, it's, it's a tough game. So they're going to have to bounce back because the key for them is going to be stay into the uh, you know a range of three points with Juventus until they play them directly because that's going to be their shot of winning the title. You know, especially the way Juventus is going. So that's it. A very interesting matchup. Any other matchups tomorrow? That pique your interest? Well, obviously, Milan-Genoa, they're playing. Milan is playing at Genoa. That's a big game because they had 13-game unbeaten run. They won a bunch of games in a row. And now, um, you know, they were faced with the loss. So it's good to see how they're going to react to that. That's another big game. Uh, Roma actually played yesterday. They played Torino, so they won three nothing. So they built off of that Napoli performance. So Ro- Roma's actually building up steam, and their yeah. Champions League game is, is coming week. up yep. this week. Yeah, Manchester United also is playing Sevilla in the Champions League this week. So it's nice to see another, the only other Italian team that's in the Champions League, uh, still well. still playing uh, playing well. How do we like their odds going into next week? I. I think they're they're good. Um, you know they now they're down two one, they're but down they're going home. They're going this, to the second leg. Exactly. So they have uh, they do have an away goal. They're gonna have to you know play good defensively, keep uh, Shakhtar from scoring. That's gonna be the most important thing, and try to sneak a goal, which they should be able to. But they beat um, to, you know yesterday three nothing, like I said, and then they beat Napoli last week four two. So they. They're heading in the right direction. Any They're players good right now. particularly we should look out for? I know you mentioned the yeah, Greek Yeah, well, Dedossi, he actually played very well. 
um, leader against, of men, yeah, he he's not been having a great season, um, but he picked it up lately in the past couple of weeks, especially um, against. Uh, Torino yesterday he actually scored a goal uh, the Greek freak <laughs> Manolas not the not Giannis I don't even know how to say his last name Antetokounmpo there you go there we go <laughs> he's, I'm not an good, idiot about everything I know how to pronounce something. some things um, but he's uh, obviously going to be very important because they need to keep a clean sheet and he's a defender um, and then you know their Turkish youngster Cengiz Under who uh, was in great form recently, and they're going to need him to create. Excellent cardiovascular shape. Can run for miles, I'm guessing. Yes, (laughs) exactly. So, yeah, those are the people that you should look out for. All right, so that's that's, uh, a week ahead of of Serie A going into tomorrow, as well as some games next week. We end up having this at the end of our program all the time. I feel like one time we should probably bump it up a little bit. MLS making waves so obviously last you know on wednesday we had the conversation about the international players and the domestic players in the wake of of that fallout because we're not the only people that are talking about it the lexi lalises of the world a lot of people in uh, united states soccer is talking about it they completed a deal with twitter where at least 24 of the matches are going to be played per season Uh, do we know how long that is what five-year deal three years three-year deal it's a three-year deal yeah, which is great. I I think it's great because the MLS, like we mentioned on uh, Wednesday, the MLS has a window here to take fans and young people away from the NFL. And what better way to do that than partnering up with t- Twitter? Because social media, exactly, social media is huge for younger people. And look, if you're a 55 year old fan of the New York Giants for 40 years. You're not gonna just turn on the MLS and become a fan. It's just you know Fair, it's, yeah. you're setting your way. I mean, there might be the odd one here or there, but generally, it's not gonna happen. So, I mean, if was, I was a fan of the Giants last year, I probably would turn soccer. Yeah, they were terrible, but well, here's a nice plug for the New York teams. They're both playing this weekend. The Red Bulls are playing the uh, the Portland Timbers tonight, and the NYCFC are playing the LA Galaxy tomorrow. But anyway, you're back a wealth to the deal. of knowledge. Exactly. Um, so yeah, so I think it's a great deal for them because they, you know, they're going to be showing games on Twitter. Um, we know lately we live on Twitter, yeah. So it's it's a huge platform and it's very good for younger people and good See, for the but, MLS. But now they they make that deal, but they need to take it a step further. Getting back to the conversation we had, you know, last episode about the international players, they need to find a way to have the best product on the field exactly to capitalize fans and not and when we say capitalize on on fans becoming more interested when you do that you're not only obviously you're increasing your viewers and you're selling more merchandise and you're selling more tickets but for a younger generation of people you're now getting athletes that want to play soccer in the future and that's going to make your american you know national team that much better right right. someone actually asked me um, this week after the last episode um, what needs to change for the development of American players is it that not enough kids are playing soccer or um, you know is it a developmental issue and I personally think that it is a developmental issue more than anything the pool I think will be there for kids to play soccer but you know, the system that works in basketball, baseball, football, which is kids play for their, their schools, their rec leagues, they play for their travel teams, they go to college and they play in college. It doesn't work on the global stage of soccer because in soccer, in Italy, in Brazil, in Argentina, these kids are playing professionally. Yeah, at a, at at a, a very, 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 very young age. In the major leagues, you look at Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge is... 25 years old right and last year was his rookie year exactly and like a great example of it is that um this week in italy there's actually something going on called the via reggio cup which is uh it's a youth tournament in italy and there's two teams from new york that are going to the cup and they go every year and my point is these kids now they're i think it's under 18 i think that's the age group they're playing one of them was drawn with AC Milan, and one of them was drawn with Juventus. So you have kids that are playing travel soccer in the United States going to play 
AC Milan and Juventus's youth team, those kids on those European teams, their job is to play soccer. They're practicing every single day. They're playing in leagues. They're they're getting ready to be professionals. Whereas, you know, how much is a travel team practicing here twice You're a week? You're just worried about the orange slices and you know, and, and going to college, making jokes, right, with making friends. a college <laughs> team. You know, that that's it. So, I think the whole youth system has to be more comparable to the rest of the world in order. I guess the uh, argument against that would be: so, what else do these developmental teams do for the? do for the european team european players they go to school too it's not just soccer every day that's so if they so if a kid tears his acl uh and his career is over he still at least gains an education right i mean these kids you know for example like they're moving at nine years old ten years old eleven years old like they're going they're moving away from their families to go to live and play at manchester united's academy at milan's academy and all that and they're getting schooled there they're and they're practicing and playing there so you know it's that that's the difference it's very it's a different culture so it's going to be hard to implement that here obviously yeah because it's not done in other sports yeah but there has to be some sort of common ground, I think, where, you know, they at least make it a little more competitive here. And they're getting, they're not having, you know, one of the dads on the team coach the team. Coach the team and that's, an not, that's not the situation in Europe. That's, no, never. That's, you're going to have a professional paid. coach uh, coach you at a very, very young age. Exactly. All right. That's an interesting question. And whoever asked you that question... Great job yeah, by them. Thank you. Uh, you can also ask questions. Tweet us at, at @idiotexpertpod. Uh, tweet our expert C Perfetto Eleven, uh, and you can tweet me. I probably will give you a terrible answer at CalchoJo Five. Uh, we'll end on this: the Columbus Crew, an MLS team, is moving to Austin, uh, Austin, Texas. Obviously, right. um, we've both been to Austin. Seems like a really awesome place. Yeah. Uh, is soccer going to succeed over there? So, I wanted to bring this up for a couple of reasons because number one, speaking about the MLS, the MLS has a great in-game, on-the-field product. So the stadiums are, are awesome. You know, I go to the MLS games, and you know, Red Bulls Arena has a great atmosphere. Uh, Portland has a great atmosphere. Seattle is well known for their atmosphere. Uh, Columbus has a great atmosphere and Austin would make one. I think it seems like the perfect city for an MLS team. It's very young, um, you know, younger people. Uh, and I think they would welcome it. But it's sad that a team from Columbus that has a great fan base and does a great job has to move. And actually, recently, the Ohio Journey, uh, General, Attorney General uh, filed a lawsuit against the Columbus crew. Wow. Because they're trying to keep the team in Ohio under like an art model law or something. So they're... Why don't they just expand then and open... That's what I don't understand. What? Why won't the MLS... There's two things that bother what are they, me. They have about 23 teams, right? Or something like that. They don't have 30. No. They, their yeah. number isn't like in Miami, NFL or anything like that. They're adding a team in Miami. David Beckham um, owns it. So... But, yeah, I think they could add one. And that's what I don't understand. There's two things that bother me about this story. Number one, the owner of the crew, uh, Anthony Precourt, won't come out and say, I don't want to stay in Columbus. He keeps saying, like, we'll explore all options in Austin and Columbus. And, but behind Columbus's back, he is doing all these things that show that the team is moving to Austin, which even if there are rumors of that, you're already the bad guy. So if you're going to be the bad guy, just go out and say, I'm moving the team. You know, yeah. I think I could make more money in Austin. You know, it's your right as an owner to be yeah. able to make the most money. So I think I'm going to move the team. But he doesn't want to say that. So that bothers me. And then, um, you know, it's just, it's not a good situation. And the MLS isn't getting involved. That's the other thing. Is they Well, we, we both agree and might as well get into this conversation in the last few minutes of the yeah. program. We both agree that American soccer will never really take off. MLS, or rather, will never really take off until they adopt that relegation style. And the reason why they won't adopt the relegation style is because the owners bought into this idea that they would always be in the top division. And you can't tell an owner now 
that he's going to be in the second division and decrease his value of his team. Exactly. That's the problem. So, And the reason why the pr- uh, promotion relegation system helps the development of younger players too is because when you have four divisions, let's say, that increases the amount of teams and cities that have teams. Yeah. Now, those local towns that have a team, they're scouting their local players. Mm. So that's how Paolo Dybala of Juventus got found. His small local team in Argentina signed him, and then he went to play there. He made moves there. The bigger team in Argentina signed him, and then from there, Palermo found him in Italy, and that's how he got to Juventus. You know, we don't have that here, and, and the reason why is because it's not in other professional sports here and the money is just too much where an owner won't want to risk losing out on you know millions and millions of dollars when their team gets relegated to the second division interesting 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 stuff um so we will we will see uh the twitter deal is definitely moving in the right direction but like claudio was saying here the league will never truly be successful until they adopt this relegation uh, style. Yeah, something for the youth players in, in the United States. That's the most important thing. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank you for joining us for episode three of an Indian Expert podcast. Again, if you like what you hear here, that's a tongue twister. If you like <laughs> what you hear here, um, please follow us and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. You can also find it on Anchor and you can find it on cloudsports.tk. You can follow us on Twitter at Idiot Expert Pod. Uh, you can follow Claudio here, and I'm going to spell it C P E R F E T T O 11, C Perfetto 11, and myself, Calcio Joe 5, C A L C I O Joe J O E 5. Uh, and, um, we definitely want to engage with our Twitter followers a little bit more, so send us send us some messages, uh, send us some questions, and we'll uh, we'll definitely answer them on the air here. Uh, and then on that note, we want to thank you guys for joining us, uh, and we will definitely see you next time.